This is the 15-minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon here on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. This is the 24th episode of 15-minute lunch break. We're here every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 noon with 15 minutes of motivation, inspiration, and empowerment to get you through the rest of a rough week. I trust and pray that these inspirations and empowerments have blessed you over these weeks. And now as we go into our 24th 24th episode, I'm led to go back to a book I wrote some years ago. I believe it was back in 2014. I wrote a book called The Theology of Struggle. And in the news as of late, I've been seeing all these stories about pastors that are going through depression, anxiety, at the point of suicide. Their churches are large. Some churches are small. Some of them are considered successful. Some of them are considered struggling. But nevertheless, um, they're choosing the the way of death, the way of um, failure, the way of giving up, the way of throwing in the towel. And I want to choose today to talk about the um, stress and the frustrations of leadership. Uh, but today's title is, uh, and, and leadership in particular in the church, Um, Today's title I want to use is an excerpt from that book. It's chapter nine of that book, The Theology of Struggle. If you want to find it, you could go on Google. Just Google The Theology of Struggle by Hugh J. Harmon. Um, And chapter nine is what what I want to lift from uh, today. The title is The Power of a Prophetic Imagination. Part of the struggle with leading in church or ministry or in the kingdom or in a spiritual space is that you are called to be a prophet. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 13 through 16 in the Living Bible, uh, is a curious story about a man that was called to lay hands on Paul, who eventually became Paul the apostle to the church, uh, who was Paul the the apostle to the Gentiles and the apostle of grace to the church. He, he was um, chosen to bring the kingdom message. But when we first meet Paul, he is actually an enemy of the church. And listen to this exchange between Jesus in his risen state and Ananias, a man who was chosen to lay hands on Paul. This is not the same Ananias whose wife was Sapphira that tried to um, fool Peter, the apostle, when they brought um, a portion of what they had sold of their land and presented it to the apostle. But this is another Ananias, a man who was only heard about once in scripture, but who had a very significant role of laying hands on Paul and setting them up in ministry. It says in Acts 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 13 through 16 in the Living Bible. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And we hear that he has arrest warrants with him from the high priest authorizing him to arrest every believer in Damascus. But the Lord said, go and do what I say, for Paul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the nations and before kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for me. That's the struggle. That's the frustration with leader, with leading in ministry. It is that oftentimes one is chosen, but one is chosen to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. It was Soren Kierkegaard that said, people have an idea that the preacher is an actor on a stage and they are critics, blaming or praising him. 
What they don't know is that they are the actors on the stage. He, the preacher, is merely the prompter standing in the wings, reminding them of their lost lines. Any pastor that's worth his or her salt and is called of God must know that God will give them insight into the next steps of the people that they're charged to lead. This requires that any pastor or preacher called in the true biblical vein is also simultaneously ordained to operate in the office of the prophet. To hear from God and to speak of and from God's mind by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to engage the prophetic imagination. The prophetic imagination is that area in our mental reverie that enters us into the realms of possibility that God has for us. It was Walter Brueggemann, another theologian, that says that preaching is an act of imagination with an emancipatory slant. He posits that in an artistic way, the preacher dares to push beyond what is in front of us and what is commonly assumed among us in order to voice before us a thought, a summons, a mandate, a promise, or a possibility that was not available until uttered under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, a sermon is no more a dream than a memo. As I ponder this thought, I'm immediately thrust into the idea of the prophetic imagination. Brueggemann voices rather articulately what I know to the sentiment of many who have been called to and take serious the vocation of preaching the gospel. We don't just pronounce or declare the expanse and the extent of our academic accrual of the will, ways, and the means of God, but we literally are called in a moment to speak the mind of God to a people that have been praying to God for answers to the questions of life that they currently face. It was Thomas Long, another theologian, who has written and lectured extensively on the preaching moment that says that good preaching is hard work done under pressure. He went on further to explicate that the biblical text should cause something to happen in the constitution of the listener. Any preacher that's worth their salt struggles with their prophetic imagination. And if one preaches every week in various capacities, a struggle to speak what thus saith God, while remaining relevant to the hearers of the word and being ever conscious of one's own frailties and faults and essentially one's own self-disqualifying actions prior to delivery exacerbates that struggle. I will be remiss to write a book about the theology of struggle and not to mention the deadly struggle that purveyors of the gospel have to deal with. Preachers, pastors, prophets, bishops, modern day apostles struggle with the weight of the ministry, the burden of delivering the oracles of God to the people of God and those that aren't interested is still a real issue. It's an issue because of the awesome implications of the task. We may speak to, lead and be applauded, lauded and revered by our followers, church members and admirers. But how is our relationship with God? How do we look in his presence? How worthy or unworthy are we to stand behind the pulpit and cry loud and spare not? The struggle first begins with how we handle these ever-present queries, which aren't based on our record of success in confirming our worthiness, but rather are questions that arise because we know how unworthy we really are. It will make sense at this point to define what we mean as a prophetic imagination, and then the hue and cry of our argument in this particular chapter will become more logical. First, let's define what imagination is. It's the ability to form a mental image of things that are not real. It is the ability to form a picture in the mind of something that you've not seen yet or experienced. It's also simply defined as the ability to think of new things. Imagination is something that only exists or happens in your mind. When we affix the adjectival modifier of prophetic to the term imagination, we now inject and imply the divine is involved in formulating these images upon the mind of the recipient. Therefore, the prophetic 
imagination is one's ability to form a mental image of the things that are not yet seen, but are in the purview of God to make real in our not too distant future. The struggle with the prophetic imagination begins as a struggle of lack of qualification. How do you become qualified to speak on God's behalf? How are you ever sure that what you're saying was what and is what God said to say? The certainty or the uncertainty of it all is a great struggle. We must know that what we're doing has to be done by faith. When we are in faith, we don't lean on our own understanding. Our understanding will always think us out of a situation. It's easy to rationalize ourselves out of possibilities. This is because we have an adept ability to have faith in failure over in having faith in success. It is easy for us to imagine losing because to lose, all we have to do is not show up and forfeit the prize. It takes no effort to rationalize that the opposition is greater, smarter, wiser, more equipped and more deserving than us. You know, Israel had that mentality and it was when they should have had the drive and zeal to get out of the wilderness and into the long promised destiny of occupancy in the land that God had prophesied to their forefathers that they actually were willing to give up. Truly biblical preaching from the mind of God with the heart of God is preaching that it's that is faith bound. Your faith shouldn't be in your qualification with regard to charisma, eloquence and winsome character, but it should be in that God called you. Maybe you've heard it said before. God doesn't call the qualified, but rather he qualifies the call built into the call of the provision, strength and resource you need to be a success. Stop doing these self-examinations that lead to these negating views of self. The Bible declares, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. We live by faith. We move by faith. We speak by faith. We preach by faith. As a preacher of the gospel, we have to come to terms with the fact that faith may have a trembling hand. It may even wobble. It may also swerve, but it must not have a withered hand. Despite all the reasons that may be running across your mind that internally disqualifies you, seek God above all else to steward your gift. In order for us to declare emphatically that I'm still in his will, we have got to come to terms with the conditions of divine will. We have got to go back to the basics. More so than anything, the work that we do on the behalf of God is a work that is built on the basics. The Hebrew writer tells us, for without faith, it is impossible to please God, for they that come to him must believe that he is. How can we preach and not believe that God is for real? How can we preach and not believe that God exists? How can we preach and not believe that he's tangibly present in the midst of all the hell that we're going through? As preachers in an increasingly heretical world, this seemingly foundational truth about the existence of God is a struggle. We only need look at the state of the evangelical charismatic church where some high profile preachers and leaders as of late have begun to espouse some very questionable doctrinal positions. Some that challenge the notions of a real heaven and hell and others that even question the deity of Jesus. If these principles of our faith are challenged because of how the world looks to us today, then we may be immersed in a struggle that has the power to consume us. The faith needed to do this most important work of the Lord is a faith that is threefold. It is past commitment with continuing effect. I have faith in God because I've had faith in God and it produced benefits in my life. It's almost like the saying, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Some of us have that kind of view of faith. It's worked for me thus far and I don't know anything else that has. Therefore, I'm sticking with it. However, faith goes further than past commitment. It's present conduct with immediate evidence. I don't just have faith because of past victories or past benefits, but I have faith that with immediacy, God will and is coming through in my life. 
Not only is faith the past, the present, but faith is intimately tied to the prophetic and that it is the future confidence as a runner looking to the finish line. For some, the struggle of the prophetic imagination is not one of feeling less than the burden. Rather, it is a sense of stress that one develops when you don't see the materialization of what God showed you or and ordered you to declare or to activate through your ministry in the lives of the people you serve. It is a struggle of always being restless where you are because God keeps showing you a picture of down the road. Imagine how the Old Testament prophets felt when God would ask them to preach judgment to the nation of Israel and then at times interject a glorious future. They will be charged to tell Israel of how they have turned their backs on the God of their forefathers and that their enemies will soon take them captive. But also God will give them visions of what the Bible described as that great day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior. The struggle of restlessness does not only affect, infect us in terms of what we see for the church in the future, but it affects how we see our personal lives. God will take us through seasons of trying and proving with the intention of bringing us out in the large place, but the stress of the small place can be so overwhelming compared to the beauty and the largesse of the visions that he gives us. Joseph in his childhood had no clue of the significance of the dreams that God was giving him. He had some level of understanding that the dreams have future implications, but who would have ever thought that the storyline would have gotten as muddled as it did for him? Who would have thought that he would have ended up imprisoned and accused, especially when he did nothing wrong? The prophetic imagination can aggravate this kind of experience. The times when your life circumstances get worse rather than better, the greater your visions of your future in God become. It is it was as if the more insight I got with regard to the prophetic, to the enlightening wisdom of the word and to the great possibilities of the blessings of the Lord in our lives. It was with parallel aggression that my personal finances took a dive. It was at that point that the promotion that I was in pursuit of someone else got it. The home that we had so proudly purchased when we moved to South Carolina was literally rented from under our hands and we were forced to move in with in-laws. My wife finally gets a transfer from one position to another at another school, one that she really wanted, one that paid really well and allowed us to get rid of some debt. Then she's forced into a situation where resigning was the best option. And we are now down to one paycheck between us and much regret and angst. This struggle with the prophetic imagination is not necessarily described in the opening scripture text about the conversion of the Apostle Paul into a firebrand preacher of the gospel. But it does give us insight into how God can have intentions of struggle for someone who's chosen and called like Paul. The story goes that Paul was vehemently persecuting the members of the church. He, in fact, was a willing participant and more so of a conscientious non-objector of the stone of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. Paul, in peril of the church, had reached such heights that it had earned him not only a reputation, but a license to take the persecution of the church abroad. But nevertheless, God chose him. You got to understand, it doesn't matter where you are right now. When God makes up his mind that he wants you and he chooses you, there's nothing you can do about it. And when God chooses you, you might be chosen for struggle. God bless.